Uh, hey guys, I'd like to welcome everybody to the sci-fi panel. I'm assuming you're all here for the sci-fi panel, but uh, we're going to talk sci-fi. We've got Georges Genty with us. You can clap. Yeah, I like, I like when that happens. Good, yeah. good lead, good lead. And it was supposed to be Tony Chastain. Tony was uh, sick, so he actually couldn't make it to the show. But I wanted to add Kelly Yates to the panel anyway. Happy to have Kelly show up and say yes. I was really just going by to the bathroom and I'm like, Kelly, <laughs> come on in. No, <laughs> so we're just going to talk about sci-fi. I mean, both these guys have done some great work. They've done a lot of stuff that everyone's recognized. And I just wanted to kind of talk about what goes into a lot of that stuff. I'm sure the audience will have a lot of questions, hopefully more than I do, because I'm not prepared at all. But <laughs> Maybe first... we should say what sci-fi we've actually <laughs> I was done. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was going to have you guys so... introduce yourselves. Hi, uh, Georges, yes. Um, I just recently finished up uh, Serenity Firefly for with Joss Wheaton. Um, I was on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Joss liked what I did so much he asked if I would come over and do uh, the new Serenity stuff. So my sci-fi extends pretty much to that universe. Um, other than that, I'm a huge sci-fi fan, so I can probably talk to you about any film uh, sci-fi based uh, with some accurate knowledge. <laughs> and I think we're glad that uh, that you did come over to Serenity because I thought you did well. You know, I only read some of the Buffy because I'm not a Buffy. Mm -hmm. That's not my thing. But Firefly, Serenity, I thought you just did a phenomenal yeah, no, job it, on that. I it mean, was just... good, and I, I hate taking credit because it was done by Joss and his brother, Zach Whedon. So the authenticity was there. I just sort of had to not screw up, yeah. and it would have been good regardless. So, yeah, I was very fortunate in that respect. But you really nailed a lot of it, too. I thought you really captured the the, the universe of it. You know, it wasn't like... You know, you see somebody's illustration, and it's like, oh, that doesn't look like anything like the show, or but you still added your own flair yeah. without. Okay, I'll take it. I, I thought sure. you did a great job. No, I'm, sure. I'm going to defend them, so nobody. No, I'll take it. <laughs> so, um, well, I, I'm Kelly, and I'm, I'm based out of North Carolina. Uh, I think my pretty much my extent is, is Doctor Who, and that's what I'm known for working on, which I have no problem with that whatsoever, because uh, I grew up watching Doctor Who in the late '70s, early '80s on PBS. You know, Tom Baker. It was aired out of order, you know, didn't have any concept of, um, you know, there were other doctors. So when they aired it out of order and they get to the regeneration, I mean, that's the difference between today and then was like, you know, there's no Internet, no fan club, no nothing. So you didn't know there's a regeneration coming. And uh, I was completely shocked. And my universe just got a little bit bigger that time. I was like, oh, my gosh. So uh, just working on Doctor Who and uh, has been my my thing. I just I love it. So. So one of the common threads also is these are both license properties all the the serenity stuff the buffy stuff the doctor who stuff so not only do you guys tend to dabble in the sci-fi but also you are having to like like kelly said recreate these characters that already exist that people see on the screen and you have to still capture the real life person and make the person reading the comic feel the same thing that they feel on the screen what what's involved in kind of getting all that figured out well, at least with me, I know when uh, I got the Buffy gig, uh, I was actually chosen. Joss, Joss Wheaton, uh, who I'm sure you all know, is if you don't know him from Buffy, you certainly know him from the Avengers and the upcoming Avengers Ultron uh, director, <laughs> writer and all that. Um, he He's a huge comic book fan. And uh, when he was wanting to do Buffy again, um, what he had this idea was to take Buffy on television, went seven seasons and he said, well, how about we just do a season eight in comic book format? And it was so successful. We're now on season 10. Um, but he um, he uh, being such you, you would think because it, it makes me look better than it should. But he 
when it came time to pick artists, he'd said, well, how about this guy? I don't know him, but he saw some of my marble work and, and thought I would fit in with it. Um, so having done that, uh, Joss really, I didn't think I was good at likeness or anything, and I hadn't really done anything like that before. And I was up front with him at the beginning. I was like, I'm very honored that you've chosen me, but I honestly don't think I'm, I'm the guy because I know a lot more people who could probably do better photo reference, things like that. And he really succinctly said something to me that just set everything, set the pace for it all. He's like, I'm not interested in, in doing um, photo reference. He's like, I've seen those books. And honestly, they do. They look very stiff because it, it does look like it's photo referenced uh, to the point where they just a lot of people maybe copy the picture. They're getting it or just do a very stiff version of something because they can't see it any other way other than that photograph. And he said, I'm. I'm interested in Buffy looking like Buffy. She doesn't necessarily have to look like Sarah Michelle Gellar. And right when he said that, I was like, oh, I get it. Okay, you want what Buffy is in essence. And yes, she will always look like Sarah Michelle Gellar or Sarah Michelle Gellar will always look like Buffy. But he really put it to me that that's how I want to see it more than you staying faithful to the character I w or staying faithful to the, the reference. I want you faithful to the character. And from there, yeah, I carried that on to uh, Serenity, which, you know, as any one of you know, it's like eight or nine characters on an average. Even people consider the ship to be a character, which I was very diligent about keeping the ship very referenced heavy. Uh, so it was a very arduous process. Everyone's like, oh, that must have been great to be on that. And I have to say, the first time I the first issue I did, I was I was very close to saying, I can't do this. This isn't something. It just was taking a lot out of me that I, I don't know why. And I can't explain to you why that was the case. But uh, it was it was hard to do uh, that series. And it's one of those things. And, and it only lasted six issues. Buffy went on. There's like 75 issues that I did. But that was only six issues. And of course, right at the end of issue six, I was like, oh, I get it. Now I know how to draw this. Now it's over. So I don't ever have to draw it again. So I've always I'm waiting for the day that maybe I can do it again and I know I can do it better. So that so, was my my edict. <laughs> well, I, I had a couple of close calls to Josh Whedon myself. Um, actually, when the um, Firefly show first came on, Scott Ollie contacted oh, me yeah? about being one of the first pencilers on Firefly because they were talking with Dark Horse about getting the license. And the way that the show was described to Scott was cowgirls in space. So uh, he goes, I need two pieces. And, you know, so illustrate like aliens and a cowgirls and uh, they sent them in. And the problem was that they didn't go through with the contract at the time because there were no pictures of any characters. There was no reference for any ship. None of it had been done. Um, so Dark Horse decided not to go with the license at that time. Hmm. And uh, so when the, of course, when the show aired, I got, I got to check this out. And I watched the first episode. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this sucked. Thank goodness I didn't have anything to do with it. It went until, like, it came out on DVD. I was able to watch it all in order. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my gosh, completely flip opposite of that. But uh, another close call was um, uh, Frey, mm, which yeah. feeds into Buffy, mm -hmm. is uh, 7 and 8. Carl Malone, was that who's doing Carl Maline, yeah. Carl Maline. Uh, he wasn't able to get to issue seven to eight because I was scheduling something to happen. Well, Josh did or... it. Yeah, he wrote it at his leisure. And yeah. Like there was like a break almost a year yeah. between him or writing Carl had one gone issue. on to something else, I yeah. think is what it was. And uh, Scott was trying to get me approved for seven and eight oh, yeah. and everything. Yeah. And again, Josh is like, no, no, I'm going to stick with Carl. We're going to wait till the schedule comes through. And 
and I respected that. You know, I wanted to do it, obviously, but I thought it was very cool that he did yeah. one. Well, and it was um, also creator-owned because he and Carl both own Frey. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So I completely get it. So I've had hmm. two close calls. So but, uh, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, not quite. So maybe one of these days. But to go on to your point, though, about just all draining you with, for illustration, though, with Doctor Who – uh, I, I think versus like if you draw Superman, Superman, basically, you know, his outfit, his costume, he has a cape. Sometimes it changes and everything. But once you draw it, you know it, mm-hmm. you know, and he might be in a space station or a cityscape or whatever. And you don't really have to necessarily reference those. Whereas like Doctor Who, you got to reference the inside of the TARDIS, the outside yeah. of the TARDIS or, you know, Serenity. It's that same. The ship It's that same thing. Mm-hmm. So you're always referencing, 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 referencing. So I can get where some of that draining energy. Well, which, which out, doctor so. do you do? Uh, or do they keep on, you on a specific doctor, or you don't? Have it just to... changes when the doctor changes. Oh yeah, honestly, okay. yeah, yeah. So you were doing so, Matt Smith up until recently. I was or? doing David Tennant, then Matt Smith, okay. and I had a great relationship with the editor at IDW, and then mm-hmm. Titan took over. Oh, okay. Uh, so now I got to start all over. So I'm, I'm getting close to getting in with the new editor, but it's just that I got to start over again. You know? Well, yeah, because as I understand it, um, I do shows in London as well, and there's there's two franchises. There's one for the American, and IDW had that one, mm-hmm. and then Titan has the other franchise, which was primarily UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if they've given it up yet. No, they've all moved yeah. from IDW to Titan. Titan. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. Titan, now, Titan so. is starting to move a lot more into the American Interesting. market now. Okay, so cool. they're starting. To, he has a whole contract. Yeah. Panini had one time with Doctor Who magazine, yeah. comic books, <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. So those are the politics. Of, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. So you're uh-huh. actually working. You're trying to get it. You're trying to get back in on the Doctor Who then. Well, it's like it's like anything. If you're working at Marvel or DC and you uh, you work with the editor a long time and they move from DC to Marvel, a new editor takes over Superman or whatever. Then you have to that editor doesn't. I mean, they might know your reputation, but they don't know you. They don't have a they might have their artists that they know and they like to work with. So you have to kind of it's relationships, yeah. you know, and I think most of the work I've gotten is just through networking and yeah. People I know, I mean, almost 100, I'd say 100% of my work is, has been through networking. So, I mean, it's all friendships and, and networking. So Exactly. And when Charlie Kirkhoff was doing a lot of coloring for Doctor Who, mm-hmm. so then when it moved over, he had the same thing that yep. he had to do. Got started. <laughs> and from what I'm told, uh, the, like the Star Trek franchise that, uh, uh, who has it now? Tony. IDW? Well, yeah, IDW, yeah, IDW yeah. has it. That, well, in, in later years, because the Star Trek franchise, funny enough, has gone through DC and Marvel. It's pretty much been everywhere since its inception. Malibu. Key, yeah, Key Yaki. Comics. Uh, they did, and I was told, yeah, they, uh, back in the uh, 90s when, you know, there was four or five Star Trek shows coming out, they were very fastidious about their likenesses. Everybody, apparently, everybody had likeness control, uh, uh, Patrick Stewart had, Jonathan Frakes had, all the actors had control over their likenesses. And as I understood it, if you were an artist, man, you you really had to go through hoops to get stuff done with them. And I never experienced that. And I thought it was great because I just had to answer to Joss. And I think 20th Century Fox, which is where Firefly and Buffy house, they essentially deferred to Joss and said, all right, if you like it, then we won't even you know, give whatever. They don't have to jump through these hoops in particular. So I was spared that. But, man, I've heard horror stories mm-hmm. about that. And, and like not so much horror stories, but like the Star Wars stuff, as I understood it, um, like when you draw something for Star Wars, uh, they have the right to buy. They have the first right to buy whatever it is you have. Like if I'm an artist, I did a, a book of Star Wars and – I was going to sell the pages. I actually have to offer it to them first, 
and say, here, would you like to buy my pages? And either they will or they won't. But I can't sell it to, you know, if somebody came up and said, hey, I'd really like to buy a page. I have to wait for Star Wars to clear it first and then I can do what I want with it. So, yeah, they were very and I'm told a lot of the artists, most of the times they just buy up whatever you have because they would rather have it. It's almost like a conglomerate. We'd rather have it here than have little bits of it out there somewhere else. So, well, and, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I, I think uh, they loosened up a little bit because I know in Dark yeah, Horse, sure. well, and with Dark Horse and Buffy, I know when they initially started back with uh, when the show in the Dark Horse did the first run back in what the late nineties uh, or something. Yeah, well, two thousand uh, probably ninety eight. Two thousand. Yeah. I know a couple of artist friends of mine were doing covers and stuff for them and inking. And Sarah Michelle Geller had final sign off yeah. on every single page, and it was just. And well, I think the, they, the irony there, Joss wasn't even involved. Yeah, and all of that oh, stuff okay. previous to season eight, he had never even written for anything. He done well. He did something Tales of the Vampire a little bit, but he had never he had any interest in all that Buffy stuff while mm-hmm. it was coming out. And it was only with season eight that he actually took a, a firm hand in. So, yeah, a lot of that was left up in the air. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm saying once Joss got involved, <laughs> that was it. I just had to go to him and everyone was like, if Joss said OK, then it's OK. So I was spared any of that. Well, I know like Tony Chastine, who couldn't make it because he didn't feel good, has uh, he has a story about how he didn't get a job because an actress didn't like the way he drew her nose. <laughs> so he didn't get the job. No, I don't want this this artist on mm-hmm. on my book. He, I don't like the way he draws my nose. Something, so and that... I've I've actually heard <laughs> in reference to doing likenesses for a book. You know, if if an actor, yeah, you know, and I hate to say, it, are, are there any actors in here? Anybody <laughs> aspiring to be an actor? Anybody going it? In in the most lovable way, actors are very vain because their their product is themselves, their face, their body, whatever, because that's what we see, and yet. But what we don't realize is they're just regular people. They got problems. They probably got a mom and dad or a cousin they don't like or, you know, things that just like you and I go through, we we do. And everybody sees themselves better than they do probably or, or think of themselves or would like to think of themselves better. And when an actor sees an image of themselves, just like you and I, you know, we can take all these selfies we want. And some of them were like, oh, I look awful. Oh, whatever. But then there'll be that one where you're like, oh, I actually look pretty good. That's the way actors are, too, when it comes to their likeness. And I had someone said to me once, "Okay, when you're drawing this person, draw them, but don't make it look like them too much. And I got the impression, well, if I don't make it look like them, how are they going to know it's them? Just make them look really pretty and they'll like it and they'll sign off on it and everything will be good. You're like, oh, okay." So I I did a couple of things and I, I did it. I guess a lot more looking better. And then once I got the gig, I just said, all right, well, I'm just going to do, you know, the way they really are. So mm-hmm. it's, it's weird. It's a weird, weird thing. And, but we all fall into it because anybody here who's ever taken a selfie or whatever probably has looked at it and go, Oh my God, do I really look like that? Ugh, I don't like that. So you guys were talking about um, when you were doing references and stuff like that, about like uh, the, the firefly, like serenity mm-hmm. ship stuff and inside the TARDIS and all that. How much of that are you guys able, how much are you having to pull from reference and how much are you having to pull out of your own heads when you're drawing a lot of that stuff? Because especially with the TARDIS, it's constantly changing. So how much of that do you have liberty with to create? Um, well, it, it pretty much is what it is. I mean, I think when I've seen other artists do it. They've kind of scaled back on the detail versus, you know, too much detail. And honestly, when you look at the, the console for the uh, for Ecclestons and, and Tenants uh, TARDIS, it is such a steampunk 
thing. It's like, and it's really hard to keep track of what mm-hmm. everything is. So you can photo reference. Now, one cool thing they gave for me was, is uh, somebody took a 3D shot, like an actual MOV movie that I could rotate around wow. the inside of the TARDIS. So that was, that was pretty cool. Um, but there was one panel uh, cover I did. It was a variant cover. So it was a picture of the TARDIS on the outside. And when you opened it, it was an illustration of the inside of the TARDIS and everything. Well, the problem is, is they only built like three quarters of the set. So there's a whole chunk missing on either side where I needed to illustrate. So uh, I started illustrating. And they really were like on top of me about like, well, you know, maybe we should make another circle here because we were creating new space in the Taurus. And I was really, I was like, okay, I think we need to move past it because I don't think anybody's going to care. But, um, you know, some people do care. And uh, you just have to try and get as close yeah. as you can, as the best you can under a deadline, which is, that's another factor. I don't know <laughs> how it is with Dark Horse, but I mean, IDW, you know, I, they'd give me two months to do something. They start taking away weeks and like, Oh, you got a month now. And, uh, you know, and I did, uh, the forgotten issue six, which was the second issue I'd ever done a doctor who they give me like six weeks before for issue four. And I was able to pencil and ink it myself. I had time. And I think I've really nailed the stuff pretty close. Uh, but then they needed, uh, this sixth issue with all 10 doctors up to that point, multiple companions, everything. And there wasn't quite as much photo reference as I have now with Matt. Smith. I mean, I got, a gazillion pictures of Matt Smith and David Tennant now, but back then in 2006, when it were 2007, when I was doing this, uh, it was very limited, and so I had to draw it and ink it in less than two weeks. And I was like, "Man, I need more time. I need more time." And just I didn't nail it. I didn't know. And just like that's something where I think you need the time. And of course, the fan community sees it and they tell you, "Oh, this guy can't draw worth the crap or yeah. anything." It's like, but they don't understand. They just see the final product. And, you know, us behind the scenes are bleeding like, no, I need more time. Two weeks is not enough time to do 22 pages with all the likenesses. And so. And it's an interesting phenomenon because the computer, obviously, the computer has changed everything in our lives. Everybody here, I'm sure, whatever you do in your life, whatever your job is, whatever your vocation, I'm sure the computer has at least touched it in some way. And now, yeah, nowadays, you want to reference? You want to reference Matt Smith? You want to reference whoever, uh, William Shatner? Anybody, you just Google it. You've got 100,000 pictures. You can do whatever you want. I was um, I was at a show, and I was talking, because I do, I, I draw comics, but I, I love it, too. I love the process. I love it. I read it. I, I'm very into comics. So I'm always talking to people who I idolized or, or was into. And on this particular subject, I was at a show with Howard Chaikin, who did the original Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, for those of us now, episode four, the 1977 version. And he was like, he was very happy to talk about it because he's like, oh, yeah, you're on Buffy. I know you. Mm-hmm. And he he was like, well, you know, back in my day, and something we don't realize because we're so comfortable with a computer. He's like, well, back in my day, I, I hadn't even seen the movie. The movie hadn't come out yet because Marvel was big on this has to come out at the same time that the movie does. Um, so they essentially just sent him uh, stills, uh, which were photographs from the film. He had never, he hadn't seen the film. Of course, there's no internet at this point. There was no social media or anything like that. They sent him pictures, 20th Century Fox, and um, he had to go off of whatever the script was and whatever photographs he could get. So there were, ch- and if you look at it, and it's a good sort of litmus test to sh- see. How something is done before you ever see the finished product, and then how something is done after everything is done. And you look at that Star Wars, and you can see little inconsistencies. If you're like, well, that's kind of not in the movie, or Mm -hmm. maybe the artist took a creative license and and did it that way. And that's the way things were done, because now you don't see it at all, because they don't 
they don't do comic book adaptions, which I think is really sad. I loved comic book adaptions. You know, they had a Blade Runner adaption, a Logan's Run, they had Planet of the Apes. They had so many comic book adaptions, and most of those were done before any of the artists or writers had even seen the film. And uh, Chaikin was just, he's like, we just had to go on, on faith. And even he said, yeah, once I finally saw the movie, I was like, oh, God, I wish they sent me reference for that because I would have done that better or done this. And it, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to do something with, you know, what very little reference as we consider it now. Because, again, you Google something, a thousand pictures. He said they probably had 140 or so photographs from Star Wars. Everybody has Star Wars in their head and it's an iconic <laughs> film. But imagine something that hasn't even come out yet. Nobody knows it's going to change the world forever. And all you have is a script and like 150 pictures of, you know, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, Darth Vader, all of this. But you don't know really the context until you see the movie. And, I mean, that just blew my mind, you know, because you're so comfortable with what Star Wars is now mm -hmm. that you're like, wow, this, this was just something they were doing as a job. And they were, hoped they pulled it off right. Well, I think they did pretty good. And I think one of the things I remember reading it, because I was one of those mm -hmm. kids. I was five years old when it came out in the theater. I remember going to get the books and everything. Mm -hmm. And I remember there was a scene. I was like, I was reading the big scene that was in the comic book, you know, where Luke goes to Tashi Station to get the. Uh, oh, right, right. It's yeah, in the comic right. book. And I was yeah. like, I don't remember seeing that in the exactly, movie. I was yeah. like, oh, what? And it was like a, trying to piece it together because it's not like you could just, you know, go out and watch the movie again. I mean, you know, yeah. your lines and your, And they yeah. filmed it, obviously, because they yeah. had photo for it, but photo that, reference. I remember that was really weird to me. Like, I couldn't piece it together. Mm -hmm. Like, at five years old, I was like, what? I don't remember. So, yeah, that was one of those things where they edited it out yeah. by that point. So. And even and for this, like, Empire Strikes Back, which I'm sure, well, maybe not a whole lot of people know, but for that as well they were doing it the same process and al williams and uh, al williamson and uh oh the artist I'm, I, well al williamson I'm, did all the yeah. archie, archie goodwin wrote it yeah, al well, williamson penciled it who uh who yeah. so, anyway. oh, crap. It's, it's, be it's beautiful <laughs> stuff it is but very beautiful yeah. they uh the character of yoda who we all know and love today was very different they actually had more of an elf like guy he was very skinny very sprite, kind of an old man-looking thing, but like a, a, a midget kind of a guy. And they had already drawn everything, drawn the whole comic book with that character in mind. All of a sudden, they said, no, Lucas says, no, we're actually doing this. This is the character we're using. And, of course, it's a different type Yoda, the one we all know. So they had to actually go in there and redraw all of the Yodas. And I think they left one or two alone. So you can sort of see from a far shot the kind of Yoda that they had for reference as opposed to the ones that the Yoda we all know uh, today. So it was that, again, they hadn't seen the movie. It hadn't come out. Nothing had been done. Mm -hmm. All they had were photo stills. And with this Yoda, it was a very coveted thing. I think even more than Darth Vader was Luke's father, everybody wanted to know what this thing Yoda was because nobody knew what it was. And, you know, at that time, Consider this. This is four years later. This is the follow-up to the biggest film ever in the world. You're doing a follow-up to it, and everybody wanted to know everything they could. And the poor artists, you know, are drawing this, and, and they had to go ahead and redraw all of these things just because they, they'd never seen it. So interesting that reference now and, and how things are done is very, very different. And, uh, and, yeah, I mean, we can go all day. Like I said, I'm into this. But Logan's Run... <laughs> Uh, when they did the film and the comic book adaption went from the script, but it's a, a bigger version of the script. And if you read the comic book, 
you actually get more information in the comic book than you do in the movie. And it's, it's just really a joy to read. If you loved Logan's Run, read the comic book and you'll see there are all these other scenes that kind of like a DVD and the things, the deleted scenes. Of course, this was way before DVDs. Um, DVDs and deleted scenes, that's what the comic books were there for because they had the script, the working script. And that's what they were going from. And the same with Blade Runner. When they uh, adapted that, they had a few scenes that you didn't see. Mm-hmm. Do you find, like with all these references, with all the Star Wars, all the Star Trek, all this stuff out there, do you find that being bombarded with references can stunt your like, ability to be creative yourself? Like there's so many things out there that have already been done. Does it, do you find it like pressure? to? Now, see, that, that's a stuff? really good question, yeah. and it's a question – the reason it's good because you'll get a whole lot of different answers. I'm, I'm very much – you give me more reference, the better it's going to be. But a lot of people, like, like you said, oh, no, I don't want too much reference because then it's going to stifle my creativity and I can't express my art in what it is. And I'm, you know, I'm a fan first and foremost. So I'm like, no, I want it to look like it is. If this is the Millennium Falcon, I want the Millennium Falcon to look like the Millennium Falcon or the Enterprise to look like the Enterprise. So I will err on the side of too much reference rather than not having enough. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's that fine line between too much reference in the sense that like it becomes stiff. You know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I got to draw, I got to nail David Tennant from this angle and everything. So, but then on the other side, uh, when Matt Smith came along talking about the, the 3D model. They actually built a 3D model in the computer of his head <laughs> that you could spin around and look at from different angles up, down, below. So it's almost like it's great, but then does it start becoming too much reference? Mm-hmm. But it, it is better to have it because, you know, if there's a scene where, you know, oh, upshot of the doctor, you know, and over him is this monster coming over. So, well, you, you want to draw him more where, you know, obviously you're probably looking more under his chin. So it is kind of good to have that reference. Whereas yeah. if you're looking at a a picture of David Tennant and it's just all straight on, it's kind of hard to, if you're trying to nail exact likenesses, you know, then it starts becoming real wonky. And yeah. then I, I think there's also that other line where um, I saw some painted books of, of, of Doctor Who stuff and they were beautiful, but man, they were using so much photo reference when they got to a couple panels where they weren't using photo reference. It actually took you out of the story because the likenesses were so mm-hmm. far off because everything else was like crisp. Boom, 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 boom. And then you hit these couple panels like, ooh, they should have either, yeah. you know, it's, it's a fine line. You can flip, uh, flip back and forth between that well, line. Of- for any artist in here, reference is just that. It should be used as a reference, not as a, a diehard thing you do. If you're an artist, you want to express what you do. And reference should help you. You shouldn't be a slave to it. So that's sort of the hard and fast rule that I guess most artists should apply themselves to, that it's not. You know, it's not diehard. It's just a reference and something you use, not something you're a slave to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were talking about, like, when you have the doctor looking at this monster looming above him, are you, are you getting tight scripts on something like that? Like, the monster looks exactly like this, or do they, is it a, hey, there's a monster, he kind of, this kind of big thing, do what um, you can do? It, it really depends. Uh, there was one script I did called uh, uh, Autoton. It was a one shot that I did for IDW. And basically, um, it was the, they gave me the whole script panel by panel. You know, there's six panels in this page. Here's what needs to happen and everything. But we need a character um, that's kind of the villain in this. And they kind of gave me the outline, like, what well, needs to have these kind of arms. But completely left it 100% up to me. And I just did a sketch or two, and the editor signed off on it. So the, the writer didn't even write, you know, you know, it needs to have this type of head or it needs to have this. It just needed certain appendages to move the story along. 
So just that's the case where it's left completely wide open to me. So, but then there's other scripts, you know, you need to be exact. Well, it's exactly like this. And, you know, I don't. Yeah. That kind of the stuff that you got with, uh, with Serenity and stuff, do you get pretty, pretty specific scripts? Um, with the Serenity, yeah, because I only did, like I said, Joss is, Joss is very picky about Serenity. It's funny. He'll, he's okay with Buffy being ongoing, and uh, Buffy has pretty much been ongoing. But with Serenity, he's more like, I'll do it when there's a story to tell. I don't want it to come out every month. But if there's a story we want to tell, fine. It can be a six-issue, whatever. Um, so I only did that. And I, uh, I like I said, I'm a fan. I'm faithful to the, well, where are they? Are they? And again, anybody who follows Firefly or Serenity knows the ship is more or less a character as well. So they know where they are when they're talking, you know, if they're in the cockpit or the, the uh, you know, one of the rooms or any place like that. People know what that looks like, even though they couldn't tell you whether it's that there, that there, that there. They know what Kaylee's room would look like or they know, you know, where the cargo hold is or things like that. So I try to stay faithful to it. Um, I also think in terms of, well, how much time has gone by or is there something I can put in there? Like between the movie or between the TV show and the movie in the film, they added this cool kind of hovercraft thing and it's called the mule. And now that thing is in the cargo hold. Of course, it wasn't in the TV show. So you watch the TV show, you'd never see it. But in the movie now and since what I had done was a continuation from the movie, obviously that mule had to be there. So the little nuances, if, and again, this was more me. Nobody told me I had to put the mule in, but as a fan, I'm thinking, well, logistically, this is what would be. This is how it would happen. And, you know, I think that's, I'm, I'm a big guy saying, I always say that you get what you pay for and you can pay a great artist to draw something and, and have it look however however good that artist is. But you can't pay him to love what you do or that subject. And if somebody is just taking Serenity or Doctor Who just as a job, I guarantee you it's not going to look as good as somebody who really loves that element and, is, and lives in it. Not to say I live in it, but I certainly lived in it for the six months that I was drawing it. Right. So I was very much a part of it. And, and again, I think that's where you get what you pay for in... If somebody's passionate about what they do, I think that's that's to me, if I were an editor, I would hire somebody who probably isn't as great an artist, but I can tell his passion is for this thing rather than, oh, we've got the best artist in the field. We've got a Jim Lee right now, but Jim right. Lee doesn't really care about this. So he's just going to give it his, you know, passive all. So, well, and for me, when I was doing Doctor Who, you know, I'm not going to get into to rates and everything, but IDW pays a little bit less than, say, Marvel or D.C., but I was willing to take a pay cut because Doctor Who was something I absolutely wanted to work on. So, you know, and, you know, it's, it's paid off in the long haul with notoriety and a little bit more being known and associated with it yeah. and everything. So, uh, you know, I took a little bit less up front for a little bit more fan payoff later. and uh, Enjoy your work more. Yeah. 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 I, I, I admire you because I love Doctor Who with all of my heart, <laughs> but I could not live on what they pay. Well, I don't live so. on what they pay, so that's why I do other stuff. But. Yeah, that's why I, I'm like, no, sorry, I love yeah. it, but I would spend too much time on this and I would lose yeah. money working on Doctor Who. So. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. So but no, no, I, I love it though. I wish. I'm like, God, if so. you guys would only pay more. Yeah. Because they have a lot of, I love Godzilla and I love X-Files and all that stuff and they have all that and i'm like mm-hmm. oh if you only paid more man i would stay it's like a playground yeah. i would play here every day if you guys would let me yep yeah well i don't i don't know how far we're getting along but i don't know if you want to open up yeah that's where i was headed with this 
All right, hands for questions. What we got? All right, let's go back here. Yeah, like I said, we can go all that because I know all Star Wars <laughs> yeah. and sci-fi and whatever. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be Doctor Who. Or well, yeah. mine was a pretty simple one. Uh, I had a few, but you guys answered them in your initial talking. So I wanted to ask if pay's not an option, what property, you know, what's your dream property you want to do that you haven't already done? You, in terms of sci-fi or you any, mean just in general? Any comics. I get that asked a lot, and honestly, I don't know. I, uh, I grew up with Marvel. And I loved the Fantastic Four when I was growing up in The Thing. But then I loved The Thing as an, as an 8-year, 12-year-old kid. Um, I, I keep thinking I might – that's something I would love to do. But I think that's more the 8-year-old inside of me that would love to do. Um, I, and it's, it's funny. You know you're, you've become an adult because the answer I always seem to come to is that, well, you know, I, I like to be working. So if they're going to pay me to work, I'll do whatever they want. You know, and that – Whatever I love what I do, but that one specific thing there there really isn't because now I'm a working professional and that's what adults do. So it's kind of sad. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I could go with that, but I'm going to be specific just because you asked directly. I've always wanted to work on Star Wars comic book. Okay. I've never had the opportunity to work. I get close a couple times, especially when it's Dark Horse, and I was like, oh, you know, almost, and stuff has fallen through. So I, now with Marvel, maybe there's a chance I would love to do some stuff with uh, Star Wars. Um, but kind of reaching back even further into my childhood too is uh i would love to do based off of the tv show land of the lost <laughs> with slee stacks and everything oh yeah oh my so, god did you have you have you met any of the cast after like at any of these shows no 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 I, did anybody watch land of the lost or remember land of the lost land. Or any, it was like a children's show sid and marty croft uh they had a girl on like well they had a, a family yeah. you know it was a yeah. guy well it's actually it's, it's always a broken family yeah, it's, it's the father, but no wife. And the daughter and the brother, and they had this little thing called Chaka, this little monkey character that they found along the way. Anyway, I, the only reason I'm bringing this, I actually met <laughs> the daughter, and man, the years have not been kind to her. I don't know if she was hitting the booze a little too much or, or whatever controlled substances over her life, but I was, because I had a crush on this girl, on Holly was her name. Holly, and, yeah. I've never, she always, and this is, will take some of you back. She wore corduroy jeans. They, they don't even make corduroy jeans anymore. Mm. But, man, I was in love with corduroy jeans because she wore them, and she made them look very, very good. But, yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. Question? Nobody's got anything. Come on, we yeah, talk. This is all sci-fi. Sci right. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. All right. So my name is Matt. My friend who's not here at the moment, uh, me and him are both right now uh, writing or trying to write a graphic novel, we, mm -hmm. something that I've loved, something that he loves. Or we're trying to do sci-fi, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to come in here. Like it's original or it's established? Original. Yeah, it's original. Okay. I, the best way I could describe it would be like Firefly meets Star Trek. It's a space odyssey. People are lost in the space, but they're characters, and we're trying to make Firefly them, meets Star Trek. Trying to make the characters very deep, uh, give them backstories and stuff. And well, you know, Firefly is only Han Solo in space, is I what know. it yeah, is. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. I know. Um, but yeah, we're trying to trying to write the characters. Um, you know, in the future, obviously, what are some what's some advice you would give as as a sci as sci-fi writers for writing in this in this market? Writing it for comics or writing it as an IP that you potentially want to make a movie of it, or, or... Uh, well, that was the end goal was maybe we can make a movie out of it eventually. But right now, we're just trying to we're we got we have um, five episodes written so far, and we're trying to trying to get it written, and then we're going to try and find an artist to help us. Uh, pencil and ink it and then we're going to try and pitch it so yeah well the art i mean until you can see the art you really can't say much about it but i will say the best sci-fi 
is, is when it's a morality drama, when it's something that reflects whatever is going on in Star Trek, the, the original series and, and the next gen, they were really great about that, taking a, a morality like, I don't know, uh, we all have grandparents here, right? So what, you know, at what age do we do we put them in a home or, you know, are if if they should even go to a home, should we be like they are in China? Should our parents be our responsibility when we get older? Handling some sort of a moral dilemma in a sci-fi element, to me, has always worked best. All of the better stories in sci-fi, I guarantee you, have some sort of a moral dilemma to them. So in writing, I mean, that's where I would slant it towards. The technology doesn't really matter. The environment doesn't really matter because stories are not about technology and, and where you are. Stories are about people, whether they're in 2010 or 2059. It's going to still be about people. So you make sure your moral drama is there, and then you can add the little added, you know, accoutrement later on. But that's what good sci-fi is. Mm-hmm. What do you guys as as uh, would you? Did oh, you add, add well, to I was going to add yeah a little add bit to, more. Add so, to. Um, yeah. well, for me, kind of my other outlet is I do creator own books. So I've done two of them. One's called Amber Adams, and that's based off of my love for Flash Gordon. It's like a female Flash Gordon, and I put that out through Image back in uh, 2008, 2009. And the other one is uh, Monster. It's M O T H E R. And really, for me. Um, I'm not trying to develop it as a as an intellectual property. I, I mean, it would be great. Sure, it'd be wonderful. I was contacted, but I'm doing a story because it's an outlet for me and something that I want to tell, and it's a story that I would read. And I'm not trying to approach it as like, man, I'm gonna make an action figure out of this. I'm gonna have a TV series based off of this. You know, that's not how I approach it. It's just me telling a story, and if other people like it, then great. I mean, I try to put a little little bit of morality, but um, and kind of on the sidestep of that is when I did Amber Adams, I was doing it again just because I wasn't getting noticed. I wasn't getting work, so I did my creator-owned book for myself. And uh, I put it out there. And funny enough, I got a call from a producer in Hollywood, and it was one of the Hitman producers. And um, he wanted to develop Amber Adams as a movie. I was like, oh, wow, incredible. Um, and he was trying to get Miley Cyrus attached as Amber Adams. And this she was coming right off of... Um, Hannah Montana, and she was looking for a sci-fi movie to do. Obviously, it never came through, and I, I didn't get my hopes up too much because we know that you know, for every one of the Walking Deads out there, there's probably 10,000 other books that don't make it. So, But for me, it was at least an outlet, and it was exciting for, for a moment. But um, you know, it was just me doing my own thing, and if other stuff comes out of it along the way, great. Well, they had mentioned that they were writing the script and trying to get it done and looking for an artist. How should, uh, as artists, how... What what should he pitch if he's trying to get an artist? What should he what should he come to? What what, well, what should he bring to the table? If you have money, I was going to say that's probably <laughs> the best money. way to do it. <laughs> and I mean, in, in lieu of money, it's it's you know if you want to give them some sort of a partner ownership to it and all that, that's great. But be careful because then you're stuck with that person. If you're like this guy is a jerk after a while, I wish we had no association. You're stuck because you gave him some of your thing, but also. You get what you pay for. If you're like, well, this guy's willing to do it, but he's this, but he's really good, but he charges this. I could get some sort of a college student to come in for half of that. You know, you're going to see a difference. So it, in anything in life, as I'm sure anybody can say here, you get what you pay for. And if you're really serious, I hate to say it, you know, whatever, do a Kickstarter fund or, or take out a loan or do what, whatever you need to do to say, I really want this to look good. I guess it proves you believe in it. 
You know, yeah. Well, not even that. I mean, because I know money is an issue with yeah. everybody here. I'm sure it's it's yeah. not like if we could all had a million dollars, we'd all be walking around going whatever. <laughs> but it's it's in terms of art, you are taking the time. I mean, it takes me about a month to do a book, and you're telling somebody, "Here's a month of your life to do 22 pages or thereabouts." You know, they have to live. They still have to pay rent. They still have bills and and all of that stuff. So they need to be compensated in some way. You know, and that. Because you can write something and write it in your spare time or, or write it after a while. But an artist, if you're on a schedule, has to devote a lot more time to it than I think anybody else in the process. Really. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Writers can write something in an issue in a week mm-hmm. or whatever. And an artist, like you said, it'll take a month. So, yeah. I mean. And then on the flip side of that, as artists, if you're looking to get work maybe in the sci-fi field and you're building a portfolio, like what kind of stuff should people be trying to get into their portfolios? Well, I, I think it really depends. Like, if you want to do Doctor Who or something, then you you find out what editors are working on what company and what editors and everything. Uh, and again, I'll go back to uh, networking. If it's something like, oh, I want to do Doctor Who, well, you need to network and get to know those editors and people who might have worked on it and that type mm-hmm. of thing. So I think that's really just what it comes down to. Well, I do do samples, obviously. Samples, if you want yeah. To do sci-fi stuff. Do spaceships. Do space. Do planets. Do things that. As we all see sci-fi, we know sci-fi. We know what it looks like. Do your version of it. And the editor also knows sci-fi, knows what it looks like. He will look at your stuff and go, okay, we're on the same page. Let's get something going. But you definitely need to have something to show because you can tell somebody you're great all day. Unless you can show them, they'll never believe it. And certainly with comic books, I, I can't tell you how many people come up to me and show me their portfolio. And they show me this real cool pinup. I'm like, oh, that's a great pinup, and they want to do comics. And I'm like, so do you have any comic work, like any pages, sequential work? Like, no, I've been working on stuff, but I just really wanted to do some cool pinups. Like, well, that's great, but I would never give you a job as an artist because I don't see any sequential work, which is the bread and butter of comic books. You have to be able to see what it is and read what it is and... That's something as if any of you do want to submit, you should at least do like five pages at least of something. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be like if you're trying for a Doctor Who thing and you have some Star Wars stuff, that's fine. The editor can see what you're doing and understand that you'd be good at this as well. Well, I'm going to thank you guys for your time. And uh, and doing the panel with us here. You... Oh, that's it! Come on, yeah, I love Sniper. We'd be here all day. I love it. Well, you know, George's and Kelly will both be out at their <laughs> yeah, tables. Yeah, come by my so table. You can and feel talk free and, uh, and like talk it. and talk with them. Uh, they're out on the floor. You you know your table numbers? Uh, I'm seven twenty four. I think I'm two thirteen across from the uh, Acure exhibit. Talk to them further. Check out their stuff. Get some stuff signed. Buy some stuff. Thank you guys for your time. Thank you. Thank guys. you guys for coming to the yeah, panel. Yeah, thank you very much. And. Uh, I did. This is being recorded. We're going to have it up on www.thedollarbin.net. Feel free to. It's in the program book. We have a little ad in there. So um, if you want to listen to it, share it with your friends, things like that. Also, all the other panels are being recorded. So if you missed a panel, oh, good. there weren't any, any cuss words, were there? So we know not to. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you guys and check those out and uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Great. Thank you.